This is the Realist Realtor Podcast, hosted by Carmelita Turner, the Realist Realtor you know. Episodes are here each and every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Because this is the show where people are interested in engaging in real conversations that talk about real life and how very real situations impact how we are able to leverage our wealth building ability through real estate. We're so glad you decided to join us. Hello, hello, hello. Happy, wonderful Wednesday. Welcome back to the Realist Realtor Podcast. This is Carmelita Turner, the Realist Realtor you know. Today is season two, episode two of our podcast. I know, where does the time go? Uh, This is where we connect real lives with real facts around real estate. After our month of rest and rejuvenation, I was so excited to come back with season two. And one of the things that I shared on our first episode from last week I said that we're going to be using more parables with purpose, really using stories to kind of drive home what our pillars aim to do, which is to truly educate you, help change your mindset and give you a bold new approach to why, as our first pillar says, you have every mother freaking right to own as many doors as possible. So let's go ahead and get it kicked off today with a quote by the person whose story we're going to use today to demonstrate how real estate is the major wealth builder. The major fortunes in America have been made in land. This is a quote from John D. Rockefeller. And for those of you that paid attention in middle school social studies, in high school history, you'll remember Rockefeller, of course, as the founder, co-founder, because he co-founded it with his brother, of the Standard Oil Company. Um, which, okay, yeah, we know later on in life, um, they were broken up because they were deemed, air quote, by the American government uh, to have been a monopoly. Um, However, Rockefeller was one of the world's wealthiest men. Let me say that again, just to demonstrate. Rockefeller makes Jeff Bezos look like look like he's walking around with chump change, okay? Because Bezos, as of 2020, is estimated to be worth about 175.3 billion. Bill Gates is estimated to be worth about 114 billion, while Elon Musk is estimated to be worth 93.7 billion. Mackenzie Scott, uh, who is famed, of course, as the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos. She's estimated to be worth about $57.4 billion. Rockefeller was estimated to be worth over $318 billion. I don't think that record has been broken yet, but if I am wrong, please let me know. So today, I'm going to share some excerpts from an article that was written by Burton W. Folsom. And he actually wrote the article for um, a a platform that I will use for research from time to time called FEE. Uh, It's the Foundation of Economic Education. And uh, he was basically talking about John D. Rockefeller, the person, and how many of his traits helped him become the wealthiest person in business, um, actually, that we have seen to date. And I am going to also overlay how many of his principles and foundations were helped along 
by the presence of real estate. You know, that's my superpower relating everything back to real estate. In the article that Folsom wrote, he starts off by saying that in 1885, John D. Rockefeller wrote one of his partners, let the good work go on. We must ever remember that we are refining oil for the poor man and he must have it cheap and good. Even after 20 years in the oil business, the best at the lowest price was still Rockefeller's goal. His standard oil company had already captured 90% of America's oil refining and had pushed down the price from 58 cents to 8 cents a gallon. So obviously that in and of itself made his company very attractive to the world. His well-groomed horses delivered blue barrels of oil throughout America's cities, and they were symbols of excellence and efficiency. Consumers were not only choosing Standard Oil over his competitors, they were also preferring it to other options that they had at the time, like coal oil, whale oil, and electricity. Did you all know that they used whale oil for power? I never knew that. Millions of Americans illuminated their homes with Standard Oil for one cent per hour. I wish we could do that now. And in doing so, they made Rockefeller the wealthiest man in American history. Rockefeller's early life, now listen to this, hardly seemed the making of a near billionaire. His father was a peddler who often struggled to make ends meet. His mother stayed at home to raise their six children. They moved around upstate New York from Richford to Moravia to Oswego and eventually settled in Cleveland, Ohio. John D. was the oldest son. Although he didn't have new suits or a fashionable home, a family, his family life was stable. Let me, let me read that sentence to you again. Although he didn't have new suits or a fashionable home, his family life was stable. All throughout the first season of the Realist Realtor podcast, that is one of the main things that I often bought to the audience as far as what home ownership offers, stability. It is so critical, not just for the children of the family, but for the family unit as a whole, from, as a family unit as a whole. It says uh, from his father, he learned how to earn money and hold on to it. And from his mother, he learned to put God first in his life, to be honest and to help others. So from the beginning, Rockefeller said, I was trained to work, to save, and to give. He did all three of these things shortly after he graduated from Cleveland Public High School. Um, and he says that he always remembered this momentous day in his life in 1855 when he began to work at the age of 16 as an assistant bookkeeper for 50 cents per day. Wow, I'm not mad at you, Rockefeller. Uh, on the job, people said that he had a fixation for honest business. He later said, I had earned, learned the underlying principles of business, as well as many men acquire them by the time they are 40. So mind you, this kid was 16. He was already in business and had a fixation for doing honest business. They said uh, one of his partners said that Rockefeller was methodical to an extreme, careful as to details and exacting to a fraction. I love that. If there was a cent due us, he wanted it. If there was a cent due a customer, he wanted the customer to have it. I love that. Such precision irritated some debtors, but 
It won him the confidence of many Cleveland businessmen. At age 19, he went into the grain shipping business on Lake Erie and soon began dealing in thousands of dollars. So they said that he enjoyed business so much that he often dreamed about it at night. However, they were very clear to say Rockefeller maintained a very clear balance between business and his real life because it says that he felt most at ease with his family and at church. Uh, It says that his wife, Laura, was also a strong Christian and they spent many hours a week at their church. So he definitely knew the importance of having a balance. Now, let's move into when he gets into crude oil. The discovery of large quantities of crude oil in northwest Pennsylvania soon changed the lives of millions of Americans. For centuries, people had known of the existence of crude oil scattered among uh, about America and the world. They just didn't know what to do with it. Isn't that many times the problem? People know that there's wealth in real estate. They just don't know what to do. And that's why we show up here at the Realist Realtor Podcast. It said that farmers thought it was a nuisance and tried to plow around it, but others bottled it and sold it as medicine. Ugh, my goodness. Can't imagine just drinking some straight crude oil. So as time went on, there was a a chemist at Yale who basically, he was the first one that, um, again, if you remember from history, kind of uh, analyzed the crude oil. And then he came up with the whole distilling and purifying um, method for kind of refining it. And so what Selman and others then did they kind of formed their own oil company and they sent this guy out, the colonel they used to call him, but his name was Edwin Drake, to actually um, begin drilling for oil with this, you know, new process that they had, um, that Silman had invented. And for the record, if you remember, the colonel was a railroad conductor um, by trade. But anyway, so um, what happened, you know, the, when, the colonel arrived um, in, they called it uh, Titsville or something of that nature. I think it was some part of Pennsylvania to start, you know, drilling this oil using this refinery process. The local people were like, this is ridiculous. We've seen this crude oil all this time. It's not going to work. You can't pump oil out of the ground like you pump water. So, of course, you know, the colonel, Colonel Drake had faith that he could. And so he built this 30-foot, they called it a derrick drill, um, and went down about 70 feet into the ground. And guess what? Well, you already know. He hit oil. (laughs) He hit oil. So already he was proving the local skeptics wrong, and then, of course, used Silman's process. Now, while all of this is going on, Rockefeller is in Cleveland, right, like watching all this stuff happen. But remember, they said that he was methodical in his methods, right? He always paid attention to things. So Rockefeller was fascinated by this refining process. But even still, he saw a lot of waste going on, right? So what he started talking to a friend about, Samuel Andrews in in 63, was about this, not only the refinery process, but also about how to eliminate some of the waste that was going on. 
um, with the current methods, because you got to remember it was, you know, it was the oil rush, right? So people were coming in like gangbuster. Everybody wanted to get in on it. They either made money fast or they lost a lot of money fast, or maybe some combination of both. And Rockefeller wanted to, you know, kind of, they, they used to call Rockefeller the sponge because he would visit all of these different oil sites. And he was meticulous about understanding the day-to-day operations because he wanted to not only understand them, but perfect them and make them better for himself. So in 63, uh, he was talking with Samuel Andrews. Two years later, they built their own refinery together. So the two things about the oil industry that bothered him, like I said, was the appalling waste and the fluctuating prices. Because remember, he was meticulous about doing honest business, right? So the overproducing of oil and the developing of these new markets caused the price of oil to fluctuate wildly. In 1862, a barrel, which is, if, if you know a barrel, it's 42 gallons of oil, dropped in value from $4 to 35 cents. But check this out. When President Lincoln bought oil to fight the Civil War, the price jumped back up to $4. We see this every day with our gas prices. Then it went to $13.75. They commented in this article that a blacksmith took $200 worth of drilling equipment and drilled a well worth $100,000. And then others with better drills and richer holes dug four wells worth $200,000. Alongside the new millionaires of the moment, were the thousands of fortune hunters who came from all over to lease and kick down shafts into it with cheap foot drills. Let me say that again, to lease land. So not only were these people flocking, right, to try to get in on this new oil craze, but guess what? The farmers who have been irritated by these, you know, these crude oil discoveries on their land, they were like, yeah, you can lease my land. You want to go drill the oil? Fine. I want it out of my way anyway. Now, did they sell their land? Oh, no, they did not. They knew the value of their land. And as I've said on this podcast many times before, when you own dirt, you own the land, the mineral rights, the water rights, the air rights, the timber, the buildings on the land. All of these things are valuable all of these things are assets, okay? So all of these people were flocking and having to lease land tracts from people um, because, you know, they wanted to get rich in the oil industry. Rockefeller was intrigued with the future of the oil industry, but he was repelled by its past. He shunned the drills and the derricks and chose the refining end instead. Refining eventually became very costly, but you got to remember, costly to them, it was the 1860s. So mainly the costs were like the barrels, a tank, um, you know, to boil the oil in, uh, being able to move it to and fro all over the country. So basically with the refining process as it was initially, they said that you would yield about 60% kerosene, 10% gas, 5 to 10% benzol or naphtha. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of naphtha. Naphtha is flammable again. So now we're going back to chemistry. But anyway, it's a flammable type of liquid. It looks like gas in a sense, but um, it is used to dilute like heavy oil as it flows through like those big um, pipelines. 
It also is what they use to make high octane gas and lighter fluid. Um, they use it for like cleaning metals, things of that nature. So that's what naphtha is or benzol. Um, and the rest of it just became waste and tar, right? So high prices and dreams of quick riches, again, brought many into the refining area, including Rockefeller. But from the start, he believed that the path to success was to cut waste and produce the best product at the lowest price. See, that was his claim to fame. He constantly looked for ways to save. So he built his refineries well, and he bought no insurance for them because he built them so well. He employed his own plumber. He had his own crew, see? So that almost half the cost of labor, pipes and plumbing materials, okay? So Cooper's, his competition, charged two fifty dollars a barrel. Well, guess what? Rockefeller came in and charged 96 cents when he bought his own tracks. Here we go to the real estate of white oak timber, his own kilns to dry the wood and his own wagons and horses to haul it to Cleveland. So he was able to beat his competition by purchasing his own track of land. So I think you'll kind of see how this man the world's wealthiest man who died worth over $318 billion, not only learned many foundational lessons in life, but real estate was intertwined throughout his entire existence and as he built his empire. As he said in his own words, the major fortunes in America have been made in land. He should know. He, just in this article alone, we see the value of the timber rights that come from owning dirt, the mineral rights that come from owning dirt, even the waterways, that's important, coming from owning dirt, the buildings, the value of homes on your dirt, okay? All things lead back to real estate. So let me just give you my top three lessons for consumers. I have a whole nother uh, class that, I, that I'm going to be doing for agents on how we can take some lessons from Rockefeller and overlay them in our business. But let me tell you, as someone who may be in need of a mindset shift, who may need to pull the trigger on getting into that first property, owning as many doors as possible. Here's some of the lessons we can take from Rockefeller on why owning real estate is important. Number one, this dude was meticulous with his bookkeeping. The details matter. I've I've said many times before, and I've even, you know, I include this in my home buying classes, that we need to track our spending and eliminate any waste. Rockefeller was obsessed with eliminating waste, right? He could not stand it. It repelled him to see waste. Let me tell you, you want to Google something interesting? Google Rockefeller's Ledger A as an apple, and you're going to find out that he had this ledger. I think he paid a dime for it. And it he basically tracked every penny that he spent. Let me tell you what's interesting. When we do that for ourselves, I'm not even saying you got a budget. What, what, skip the budget for now. If you tracked every dollar, every dime, every penny that you spent, what you're going to start to see is that over time, the entries will go down. And your money will increase. 
What could you do with that increase in money? Well, I don't know. Save it up for a down payment. Save it up to pool money together with another group of folks and start buying some investment properties. Become debt-free. Own more doors. Look, it's simple. If you track every penny that you spend, I guarantee you, you're going to eliminate the waste. That's lesson one. Lesson two, grow your wealth by leveraging. This is where I have talked about many times and I teach this in my homeowners class, the, sh- the importance of having strong credit that you can leverage. This is where that comes into play. When you're in that 700 plus club, you're able to leverage that. Let's say, let's just say you leverage it for a line of credit that might be $100,000. You know what I did before recording this podcast? I did a just quick search in you know different regions in my area. And I found nine properties that multifamily properties uh, don't require a great deal of um, renovation, all under 50K in my immediate area that I could go snatch up and start generating income today. And you are still thinking about pulling the trigger. I don't know why, whether you do it alone or you do it with others. It is doable. Rockefeller did it with his partner as well as his brother. And look where that led him. And let me tell you the top third, uh, my my number three tip from listening to and, and reflecting on Rockefeller's life. Buy well, buy well. So how do you buy well? By letting someone like myself help you and educate you and hold. The one thing in real estate, as Rockefeller could truly attest to, Time is always your friend. There will never be a time in owning real estate that time will not be your friend. I have no quote for this. I have no story to tell you other than time will always be your friend, especially with properties that are not only paying for themselves, but also maybe paying for your own primary residence and lifestyle. I hope that you have enjoyed our story time together today, folks. Listen, thank you in advance for sitting through this episode of the Villas Winter Podcast and showing up again next week. I pray that the information that we offer here each and every week gives you food for thought and helps move you closer to owning more doors. Until next week, folks, take care. Thank you so much. I leave you in peace. Thanks for listening to the Realist Realtor podcast. Head over to Call Carmelita for Real Estate, all spelled out on IG, and look in our bio to click on our link so you can connect with us across all platforms. Please subscribe to the podcast here on Anchor and Spotify, and we'll see you next week.